Hello and you're very welcome to this special post-Christmas edition of The Last Word. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM, it all happens here. This is the first of three shows this week where we replay some of the best of The Last Word from 2023. And today we're focusing on highlights from some of the culture clubs that we enjoyed the most during the year. Then tomorrow we'll feature some of the interviews that resonated most with you, the listeners. And on Friday we'll be remembering some of our favourite interviews with sporting personalities. But today we're going to hear from the novelist and game show host Richard Osman, from Sarah Cochran of the rock band Pillow Queens, from Met Aaron's Joanna Donnelly and Rosa Trulli co-presenter You'll also hear mentalist Keith Barry tried to hack my brain. Did he succeed? Stay tuned to find out. First up, though, we have the comedian PJ Gallagher. Here he is telling me about his love for the Rocky movies and for Sylvester Stallone. I even have a Rocky tattoo on my arm from when I was young right here. It's like a kid slug sort of style Rocky tattoo because the story just captivated me from the moment I saw it. It was one of those... Uh, that and for some reason Clint Eastwood Any Which Way But Loose I had on VHS back to back and just watched them over and over and over again and the character of Rocky just is I I, I know this is another one like Meatloaf I'm not messing I really do mean this like Rocky is like the greatest character ever to be on the movies ever because it's all about going the distance so many characters in the 80s and late 70s when Rocky was sort of born I guess it was all about like you know triumphing and become like you know, local boy overcoming adversity overcoming adversity becomes a champ he loses the first fight in the first movie that's the first that's the biggest part of that movie he doesn't win the fight he fights spoiler Apollo. for those of you who haven't seen Rocky <laughs> number one yeah you had like 46 years <laughs> so you know if you, I don't think I've heard it too much but he loses the fight it's all about going the distance that's the whole point of Rocky it's about having a go and going the distance and if you actually fail it doesn't matter too much Adrian's there waiting for you let's hear a clip in which Rocky's trainer Mickey played by Burgess Meredith warns him about chasing women and losing focus. Hold it, Rock! You drive me crazy as a sloppy because you're off balance. Let's try this. I take this string tired to both angles, leave about two feet of slack. I never have good footwork. Never mind footwork. Now you're off balance. Now Marcian had the same problem and this string cured it. The idea that if you can move and you can hit without breaking the string, you can balance, you become a very dangerous place. You follow okay. We're looking good. Rock. Thanks. Let's go. Here, That's here. it. That's it. Ernie. Rock. What? How about you give us your order? Get out of here! Don't you ever interrupt me while I'm conducting business. Move your little chicken ass. Listen, kid, you. You lay off that pet shop game. Women weaken legs. Yeah, but I really like this girl, you know? But let her train you! Okay, no more fooling around. Okay, I hit it. Women weakening legs, huh? I really like this girl. Well, let her train you. Yeah, yeah, Mickey is great, isn't he? He has so many great lines. I'll ki- he'll kill you to death is still my favourite line from Rocky Three. <laughs> You've watched all of them, obviously. I've watched a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they do go downhill after the first one, but they're still all great. All right. Okay, let's jump on to TV. And God, you really are a child of the 80s, aren't you? Really? Cheers. Yeah, the TV raised me, you know, like when the, the, the calm moments in my house was sitting down with the TV on when people weren't going bananas. So, uh, yeah, you got sucked into TV shows like the TV show characters kind of became your best friends in a way. Um, and I think that's 
by shows like Cheers, like you had these characters and they were so reliable. So there was the funny one, the silly one, the the smart one, the good looking one. They all had those really all clearly full of great one liners and full of great one liners. Just uh, the ultimate sitcom, really the ultimate sitcom. We always think of the ultimate sitcom, this side of the world, and think only fools and horses or Father Ted or. Uh, you know, what else, Faulty Towers. But for me, the American stuff was what I what I loved. I loved all that stuff. I was obsessed with America as a kid. You know, I thought America land was just like, you know, heaven on earth. So the having these windows, these little worlds for me, uh, getting to tune out and going to these dream things, like being, I mean, you're still 11 years old dreaming of sitting in a bar all day. Probably not the best dream to have. But watching the likes of Cheers and laughing your head off, watching your dad laugh his head off, they're just great memories. Well, let's hear a clip from uh, Cheers. And this is where Lilith, Sam, Fraser, and Norm are all involved. And Lilith is looking for parenting advice, of all things, from Sam. And I bet my bottom dollar that you're a pretty good mom. Yes, well, considering that endorsement comes from a perennial Peter Pan with no sense of maturity or obligation... You'll excuse me if I don't leap over the bar, embrace you, and say, really, Sam, you think so? Well, glad I could be there for you. I'm sorry. Perhaps I'm just bitter because Fraser is succeeding with our son where I failed. He is indeed a better influence on my precious baby. Hey, guess what, everybody? Little Frederick beat Clifford Dart. <laughs> Fraser? Uh-oh. What are you doing here? give my son to you so you could run off and spend the day in a body house? Yes, well, my, my little chopped salad. I mean, we just got here, what, ten minutes ago? Hmm? You're lying. Well, yes, I'm lying, but uh, <laughs> I, I thought that Frederick might enjoy himself. Enjoy himself in a bar? He's 11 months old. What kind of values can he learn here? Well, I, I thought the place had a lot to offer. Oh, please. He'll never learn to speak in this environment. Afternoon, everybody. Ah, the uh, wonderful cheers. Where everybody knows your name. Yeah. Like, you know, just I, looking forward to the soundtrack every week alone. Have you seen the new Frasier yet? No, I'm it's afraid. It's not bad at all. Oh, really? No, I watched uh, the first two episodes, really enjoyed them. Something about it, mate. I'm afraid to watch it in case it spoils a memory. No, it, it actually works. Favourite play or musical or theatre show? You've gone for a Marina Carr play. Yeah, because it was the first show I ever saw in the Abbey. I was a drama student at the time and I didn't know why I wanted to do drama. I just knew I wanted to do something on the stage and I knew I wasn't going to do anything practical because my hands are purely ornamental. So I was like, I have to figure out a way to, to find something I'm excited about in life. And she did a, a play called The Bog of Cats in the Abbey. It must be in the late 90s now at this stage. And I went in to see The Bog of Cats and it's like, a, a, I can't even remember which one, but it's a play on one of the Greek tragedies or whatever. And it blew my mind, just the performances. It was one of those when it went to interval, just sat there and watched the stage and didn't move because it was like you couldn't have started again quick enough. And when it was over, like you could remember so much detail. It was the actors, the way it was pulled off. I think it was the, the first time I thought, my God, I really want to do this. But at the same time, feeling totally intimidated because you think I'll never be able to do it that well. Um, and it stuck with me. I don't think I've ever seen a live performance that affected me that much since. Um, which is a really lovely thing to be able to say because it was the first play. It's got, it really has a, uh, I'm getting a bit ridiculous, but it has a touch of first love off it. Sure. You know, the first kiss, it kind of has a first kiss feeling of it when I think about it. Okay. 
Do you, you've written your book, Madhouse. Do you read a lot? I, I, I did. Do you know what I read most? I fell out of love with reading for quite a few years and then I ended up back in St. Pat's. Uh, and I sat in St. Pat's and read like a book every few days. Um, it, the other patients used to remark on how much I was reading and I haven't been able to stop since then. So I, I just love reading now. Um, and you've picked Liz Nugent for us, lying in wait. Yeah, which is, um, I got into her books when I was in the hospital. Uh, and I had this really weird experience because I loved how, it's probably the worst book to read when you're in a, a mental hospital because she is just so gifted at writing the worst people. Like she writes terrible people magnificently. She just writes them, so, she writes horrible people in the best way. So I was obsessed with these characters she had to the point that I got out of the hospital, sent her a message and said, Liz, um, your books meant a lot to me. I read them. You don't know me. And she goes, actually, uh, we have met and we're related, which I didn't know. Really? Yeah. So it was a really weird circle of Swensh. And she goes, let's meet and have breakfast and I'll tell you why. So, uh, yeah. And now I've just read Strange Sally Diamond and I'm obsessed with that as well. Okay. Well, Liz has been a regular guest here on The Last Word as well. She's also done this Culture Club for us. Let's hear a little bit from Lying in Wait. This is read by Quilfin Doyle. Done. After dinner, Andrew and I were in the kitchen cleaning up. He was moaning about Lawrence's weight and his uncouth girlfriend. He was being quite cruel about the idea of them being a couple. I did not like her either, but my intuition told me it was a passing fancy. Helen's mother was Angela Darcy, a poet of note, so status-wise she was just about acceptable. But Andrew, so quick to be irritated these days, said, What does she even see in him? And then I saw Lawrence. He had been standing at the kitchen door and heard Andrew's whole tirade. We had allowed Lawrence to have a little wine with dinner to celebrate the fact he was 18, but I don't think the drink suited him, because he had this really aggressive, hostile expression on his face when he looked at Andrew, as if he despised him. There are worse things to be than fat, Lawrence said insolently. Oh dear, please let's not fight, I said, trying to broker a truce, but Andrew ignored me. What are you trying to say? Nothing, said Lawrence, sullen. I'm sorry you heard me say those things. I know I haven't been very well recently. Lawrence left the room abruptly, slamming the door behind him, not allowing his father a chance to apologise. Andrew turned to me. He knows. Don't be so silly, darling. He doesn't know anything. But the way he looks at me. He won't even be alone in the same room as me anymore. From Lying in Wait by Liz Nugent, read by Quill Fund, Don. So, the end of that book is so horrific, it'll ruin your life in the best way possible. You'll actually love it that it happened. Ruin your life in the best way possible. All right, fair enough. I I shouldn't have said that about it, but I think you know what I mean. (laughs) Okay. All right. Hidden treasure to finish off. And uh, you have definitely come up with something for us that has not been dealt with on the Culture Club previously. Who are the bionic rats? The bionic rats are the greatest reggae, soul, ska type band that you're ever going to listen to. They're live a lot. Uh, you'll see them mostly in the Foggy Dew, which is a pub. Just off Dame Street. Just off Dame Street. On Sunday nights, they go in there and the bank holiday weekends that they're on. Honestly, just it's such a soulful, fantastic night. You're standing in a pub. People are dancing. There's a brass band. They're, it's all original tracks. I swear to God, No Bottles, No Milk is one of the best songs you'll ever hear. It's well, actually, tell us a little bit more about them once we've heard a bit of No Bottle, No Milk from the 2015 <laughs> okay. album, Another Fine Mess.
You didn't sing Bad Out of Hell, but you're singing away to I'm that one. I'm singing away to that one, yeah. I mean, how does that not put a smile on your face? Dude, it's a heavy mix indeed. How'd you come across the Bionic Rats? I came across them. I suppose I've always been involved in sort of motorbikes and the scooter scene and all that sort of stuff. And a lot of those lads would follow these guys, follow them kind of religiously, to be honest. And uh, I was going to their gigs in the Foggy Dew every so often, just loving it to the point that I actually thought I'd learned the trumpet, <laughs> which did nothing. Were you joining in with them? I can see you almost jumping on stage with this lot. I tr- Yes, I did. I joined in one of the nights because I was trying to learn the trumpet but all I did was upset the neighbours and everyone around me it was a failed experiment but still the inspiration was there I still love listening to them why the trumpet? it felt easier than the saxophone (laughs) (laughs) easier and cheaper than the saxophone that was it and that was PJ Gallagher bringing part one of the special edition of The Last Word to an End join us in a few moments for the second part the last word on Today FM with Matt Cooper. Welcome back to part two of this special post-Christmas edition of The Last Word, where we're looking back at some of our favourite Culture Club interviews of the year. Now in August, just before we co-presented The Rose of Tralee with Catherine Thomas, Dahi O'Shea joined us in studio and revealed himself to be quite the fan of Guns N' Roses. Here he is talking about travelling from Kerry to Slane Castle to see them when he was still a teenager. So I was 15 and myself and a friend of mine from uh, school in Dingle, Shane Whelan, we, like, I used to work in a meat counter in, in Garvey's in Dingle those weekends, right, when I was in secondary school. And I saved up the money to buy the ticket. I think the ticket was something like £27.50 plus booking fees, which was around £30, which was a fortune at the time, you know. Yeah. And then you had to, to, to get the bus into Tralee and the train from Tralee to Dublin. And then uh, we met friends of his who were in boarding school and one, like, one girl had a farm uh, close to Slane and we all slept inside in the hay shed and there was every kind of thing going on inside in the hay shed. Anyway, <laughs> the, it was very, the, the weather was beautiful during the day which meant it was very, very cold at night and these two anyway were having a good time. We were all outside freezing. I said, Jesus, will, 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 will they ever hurry up inside there? <laughs> the man thought he was the rocket queen inside in the, <laughs> inside, inside in the bar. I said, come on no lads. So anyway, they, they, they finished what they were doing anyway so we all got to go to sleep inside the hay shed. And again, sure, like, there may have been a, a bottle of cider drank, but like we wouldn't have the money for it that time, Jerry. You yeah. might have had one flag and a cider for the whole weekend and, and, and we had to make it last. And the concert itself? The concert itself was unbelievable. There was um, uh, a band called My Little Funhouse from Kilkenny that signed with Geffen at the time as well, who Guns N' Roses were with and rumours were going around that these were the next big thing, so, thing, so we made sure we were in for that. And then Faith No More played after that. Oh, they were great bands. They were absolutely fantastic. And then, like it was probably the, all I can remember that day about the weather that there wasn't a cloud in the sky, it was roasting and then Guns N' Roses came out with Night Train and it, just to start that and they, they sang through the whole thing we danced through the whole thing it was it was just one of those one of those times in my life where, where I look back and because uh, I, I often kind of go on YouTube to see if anyone else has put up clips and actually I went on there last week and there's only one clip which was an RTE news item and there's no there was no footage there yeah because we actually couldn't yeah. find a decent clip of Guns N' yeah. Roses we actually do have a bit of them live just so people yeah. get it from of all places Chicago doing Sweet Child of Mine lovely
Dahi O'Shea is now yeah. miming to Guns yeah. N' Roses. I sang that actually one night. I was on a show called Charity Eurostar around 20 years ago. And the first sang- song I sang was Sweet Child of Mine. Now it was a mixture of Guns N' Roses, The Saw Doctors and uh, <laughs> Cotton Eye Joe uh, s- s- singing Sweet Child Could of Mine. Could I have got it again? No. <laughs> <laughs> As one fellow told me one, I'm not within 14 pints of it. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me, what music do you listen to now, though? Because you do a lot of driving, because yeah. particularly because you live in Galway, but the Today mm-hmm. Show is done daily down in Cork and you commute. So what sort of music do you listen to when you're in the car? Uh, it could be anything from Andre Bocelli, Axel Rose, Bon Scott, Seamus Begley. Uh, it can be anything, just a cross-section. Jeez, that's an eclectic it, mix. Yeah, and you know, that's what I like about it, because there's some days I, want, I, I get up and I just want to hear Bon Scott or Axel Rose, and another day I just want to hear Seamus Begley. There's a day that I want to hear uh, Martin Hayes all day long, and the next day I don't want to listen to Martin Hayes today, I want to listen to someone else. And that's just, I've always been like that for some reason. I have to ask you, because you're looking really, really well for it. You did a podcast last year with Mario, yes. and I remember being alien <laughs> myself in the car, laughing our heads off at it, because you made your revelations about the fat suit. The fat suit, yeah. Did you wear it this year? I didn't wear the fat suit this year. Uh, I only wore the fat suit once because, like, I should have read the instructions, Matt, if, if I'm being very, very Explain honest. Explain what the fat the, suit is. The fat is suit really is... is um, is a wetsuit that you wear when you're walking or running, right? So basically, it's all all the heat stays in and you start sweating. So the first time I went out with this thing anyway, I, I'd say I got to the gate and there was, I said, Jesus, there's sweat going down into my socks. And she was like, this is great altogether, right? So I booted off down the road. I said, Jesus, I started feeling a bit hot like, you know, and then I started really hot. So I got back on the scale anyway, I was down about three pounds. So I said, geez, that's all right. The fair play. A good start to, good start to the regime. I, I hope you're rehydrating this during was, all this This right? was the problem. Like, So I woke up the following morning. I can only open one eye. I said, geez, my eyes are glued together. What's wrong with me? So I was totally dehydrated altogether. Didn't take, didn't drink any water, which was a very, very dangerous thing to do. So I wore it a few times, but I did take a lot of water on board as well when I was doing it. So I kind of said, the fat suit, no, I shouldn't really be doing that because it's not really that good for me. So... Like I've often, pro- like I say, I'm always great this time of year. I'm, I'm, this is my, this is my good fighting weight. But like when you're in the car then for the length of the Today Show and April and May, I get lazy and tired and you're, you're pulling in for diesel and all of a sudden you're taking uh, cream declares with you and rasher and sausage uh, baguettes at 10 o'clock in the morning after having the breakfast before you left the house, you know. So I decided I'm not doing that this year now. I said, no, I said, I'm not. So I, I, I kept it up all year long. I lost two stone after Christmas. I found one of them back. <laughs> And I lost half one again. So I'm, if I can if I can stay at this weight, I'd be delighted. You're in good shape. So, so did you manage to keep the same tux from year to year? Yeah, I, I put one on this morning and it was the one that went on me four years ago. No, I, I wouldn't put on the one that I wore the first year. <laughs> but if I went back four or five years ago, I, 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 I'd get into that one all right. Like, yeah. And uh, But no, it, and it's, it's a good yardstick as well. But like I see, I don't do anything for Lent and I don't do anything for the new year. The, the Rose of Trillies, when I, I, would, I haven't drank now in a few weeks, like... And I, I start going to the gym. But then, like, I start feeling great. And I'm thinking, why don't I do this all the time? But then I miss the crack going out and having a few pints. So I still, I'm still trying to get that proper balance of having a few pints and uh, staying fighting fit at the same time. That was Dario Shea there from his Culture Club interview in August. And don't forget, you can hear all of the interviews on the Culture Club back in full on the TFM website. And next up, we're going to have Sarah Cochran from the all-female rock band Pillow Queens telling us about the first single she ever bought. Yeah, I think it's something that we talk about a lot within the band. I think the other members of Pillow Queens have much cooler answers than I do, unfortunately. Um, but I'm, I'm proud of my choice. I think it's really, it's great that it's Irish for one. Um, and I think it really sets the scene of what the music industry was like, particularly for a young 
girl grown up in Dublin. So what's your choice? My choice is Perfect Bliss by the band Bellfire. I don't know, Matt, if you remember Bellfire, but they were a pretty big deal for me. Um, they were one of Louis Walsh's attempts at constructing a, a manufacturing a girl group. And I think it went pretty well. This song was everywhere for a while, um, including in Golden Discs in the Omni Park Shopping Centre in Santry when I was a kid. And I was doing the big shop with my mom and my cousin Ali convinced me to go into Golden Discs and buy this single. So I did and I completely rinsed it and I know every single word and harmony and yeah, it's and it still stands up as one of the better songs, I think. Let's hear a little bit of Belfar, Perfect Bliss. I think they call it love, it's nothing to be scared about, believe. Sarah, I don't know if you'd know the answer to this, but whatever happened to Belfar? Because listening to that, it sounds like the sort of perfect type of pop that would have broken the United States. Well, I'm so glad you asked because I did recently spend a lot of time on their Wikipedia page. Um, I think <laughs> ITV, as far as I know, I, now I didn't take notes on this, but this is my recollection. ITV were to do a reality series following the band and Louis Walsh, apparently said behind closed doors in a, in a secret interview that one of the vocalists was the only one that he particularly cared about. Now, I'm, this is probably, you know, allegedly kind of behaviour here. Um, but it, it caused ructions among the band because it was aired on the reality TV show and so the band split up. That's what I've heard anyway. That's very good. And they could have been big, do you think? Yeah, I think oh, it's so difficult when you're manufacturing a band. Like, you've got to really want to spend time with the people that you're in a band with. And I think that's a real conscious decision you need to make on the daily. And if you've just been put together with these people, it's going to, well, cracks are going to emerge. How do Pillow Queens come together? So given that you've already mentioned that your fellow band members have what you'd say are cooler choices as first <laughs> singles. How do Pillow Queens come together? Uh, we actually came together playing basketball in Dublin. So we, it was a warm summer and we wanted to do something that wasn't just going to the pub. So we invited all of our female friends out to play basketball and said, encourage them to bring friends of friends. And then we ended up mm, in the pub anyway at the end of it and discussing music. And we decided to form the band then. But at that stage, how many of you were actually playing the instruments? We were all playing. We'd all been in different bands. But I think as we had gotten into our 20s, the enthusiasm from other band members had sort of worn off and we were the members in the band that still wanted to do it so we wanted to start something new and tour and release albums so that's what we did why what's the attraction of it oh well seven years into it i don't really know the answer to that no i'm only kidding um it's again the the live experience playing to to audiences to festivals getting to travel the world 
meeting people you never thought you'd get to meet, um, being asked your opinions on things. I mean, you know, it, it's it's incredible. It's a it's a really cool opportunity. And have you ever come across Louis Walsh? <laughs> I did. Uh, <laughs> I would have loved to have been in one of those, those manufactured bands for a period. Um, no, we ran into him at the Choice Prize Music Awards and he said, uh, what's your band called? And he said, Pillow Queens. And he said, never heard of you. <laughs> How did you react to that? Just laughed. He said, why don't you send us a demo or something? And I mean, we were about three or four years into the band at that stage, so we decided against it. Sarah Corcoran there. Some more music now as we go back to Culture Club interview we did in October with Joanna Donnelly from Met Aaron. She turned out to be a very passionate and knowledgeable fan of music from the 1980s. Oh God, and and that's it. I because I said my older brother was punk, my and my other brother, and then my mom was very into music as well. So I had Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. I had um, the the Aerosmith and the Bruce Will, Bruce Springsteen. I had my own music was Duran Duran and Depeche Mode. It couldn't be more diverse. I think if I could try to make a more diverse list of all the bands and music that I love, um, and I you know to make people choose one, it's like asking the next question: What's your favorite? anything you just like to pick one it's, it's what's your favourite child <laughs> no 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 no. it's cruel well you it's also cruel. have on the list because you had madness there as well because we've chosen a little bit of madness music from the list you initially gave us let's hear a little bit of One Step Beyond hey you don't watch that watch this this is the heavy heavy monster sound the nuttiest sound around so if you've come in off the street and you're beginning to feel the heat, well, listen, Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockinest, rock steady beat of madness. One step beyond. I'm told you got to go to a Madness concert recently. Yeah, only recently. And it was absolutely fantastic. I was dancing like a lunatic. I thought I was uh, unknown there. And it turned out afterwards, after the end, the guys standing beside me said, I can't believe I spent the night dancing with you and Donnie. I was oh, if I'd known I was making <laughs> such a show of myself. But uh, oh, dancing, my, dancing out my shoes, as uh, Joan Cartacash said, it was just fan. They were incredible. You wouldn't think that they were doing this, whatever, 40, 50 years. They were amazing. You have loads of gigs for us mm. that you remember, <laughs> particularly going back to the 1980s. Well, I was at the gig. I was, um, you know, the, the everybody, they said if everybody that was actually claiming to be at the first uh, Beatles gig, the, you know, they couldn't have possibly been. But I was at Slane um, in 1985 when Bruce Springsteen uh, played for his Born, Run, uh, Born the USA tour. And um, I read his autobiography and he said that that, that gig terrified him because I think they sold something like what, 20, 30,000 tickets and about 80,000 people turned up and it was, the sun was shining, the 
the mountain was bouncing. It was unreal. And I was there. It was great. Okay, And you were also in Croke Park a couple of years later oh, for yeah, Simple that was, Minds. That was brilliant too. Um, that was celebrating the, my leaving cert in 1987. And at the end of that gig, and if anybody that was there will remember, there was a, a thunderstorm, which are where in those days? Not so much anymore, but very rare to to see lightning storms. And um, he was singing, you know, the the way at the end of the the Breakfast Club where they use that album and um, Judge. Don't you forget yeah, about me? Yeah, and he points at the sky at the end. You know, he does that big salute to the air. And um, I've forgotten the name of the lead singer of uh, Jim Kerr. Jim Kerr at, it was was singing "Don't You Forget About Me," and he did that move and he pointed up into the sky, a big dramatic point, and the sky lit up. This huge thunderstorm cracked right overhead at exactly that point, and we all thought it was part of the show. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, how do we do that?" <laughs> it was fantastic, and, and, and it's lovely to see that the list you gave us a lot of the other gigs that you remember ones that you went with your mother to. Yeah, as I said earlier, she was very much into music. She loved music, and I had the thrill and pleasure to be able to bring her to a few gigs. Rod Stewart a few years ago was absolutely amazing. I mean, these guys, I went to Rod Stewart, we went to Lionel Richie, Dolly Parton. Oh my God. Um, They were fantastic. And, you know, these people are mega superstars for a reason. You know, they deliver a really, really cracking show. So they were some of the best gigs I've ever been at. I think Dolly Parton played 21 musical instruments and danced and danced all night. She was amazing. It was fantastic. There's one more band that you had on the list and I'm going to play a little bit of them first and then you can tell us why you enjoy them so much. Here's Depeche Mode doing Personal Jesus live in Berlin. One of the great songs. Although there's an argument that maybe Johnny Cash's version is even better as a cover. Mm. Tell us, John Donnelly, why you love Depeche Mode so much. Well, apart from the fact that that's very self-explanatory there, if you listen to that, that's them live in Berlin. I was uh, at Malahide Castle this summer. They were live there. I've been at many of their concerts uh, over the years. These uh, This band has been going since the 80s and I remember seeing them being interviewed um, and they were a little bit resentful of the, the media kind of writing them off. They're not really up front and centre as being a hugely popular 
brilliant band. They're kind of written off as being a, an 80s band. But these guys are still touring and they are absolutely phenomenal live. They are, you might not think because it's such, you know, their their music is so um, technology based or whatever, but they are apps. They, you'd nearly pass out with the excitement at their gigs. They are incredible live. Joanna Donnelly they're bringing to an end part two of this special post-Christmas edition of The Last Word. When we come back after this short break, we'll hear from the mentalist Keith Barry and also the novelist Richard Osman. The Last Word on Today FM with Matt Cooper. You're welcome back to The Last Word. We were delighted in August to be joined by Richard Osman, game show host and author of the astonishingly successful Thursday Murder Club series of crime novels. And in this clip, he talks about how his books were inspired by the 1980s TV show, The A-Team. That's funny. Well, I, I, I think about, I talk about it a lot at the moment because of the Thursday Murder Club. And the, the joy of the Thursday Murder Club is it's four very different people in a gang being thrown into unusual situations. And I love a gang. You know, I love a gang with different skills. And so that, that's what I have. My gang happens to be sort of each of them 80 years old. But, you know, one's a psychiatrist, one's a, a, a spy, one's a nurse, one's a trade union official. So they're, they're really different human beings. Uh, and I, I think back a lot to where that kind of how that just naturally came about. And I thought, well, of course, the A-team. I mean, of course, the A-team. Four completely different people thrown together. Uh, and every week, something, you know, they, they, they have to get out of trouble. And, you know, they have to solve something. And so uh, it, it, it's like the perfect kind of uh, training watching 18 for, for, for writing the Thursday Murder Club. I love, I love an unlikely gang. And then for your adult choice, I thought you might actually go for some sort of game show or something like that, given that you spend uh, so much time. But instead, you've gone for something that I actually haven't seen as yet. I think it's on Netflix, Poker Face. Why have you gone for that? Oh, you are going to absolutely love it. Anybody who loves Columbo or Murder, She Wrote or anything like that, it's almost like an homage to that. It's even got the same font, that same amazing uh, yellow font as Columbo. Uh, it's Natasha Leon, and she plays someone. The hook is, she can tell if you're lying, right? Okay. Uh, and so it makes her a great detective. But they play with that hook so well. It's not just like, um, they don't use it as a sledgehammer. Uh, and essentially, like the littlest hobo, she turns up somewhere new every week, uh, and uh, solves a crime, uh, but it's a, it's a re- if you love those sort of seventies crime of the week type uh, shows, it's brilliant. It's done beautifully. It's written beautifully. It's acted beautifully. The settings are always extraordinary, uh, and it it really is the first sort of detective show like that for many years. I just thought, oh, this is this is going to end up in the canon of the of, of, of the great TV detectives. Okay, well you've sold that to me. Let's hear a clip of Natasha Leon with Adrian Brody. I got no way to elegantly segue into this, so I'm just going to launch in. Segue into what? My friend Natalie. How she did the thing I'm always yelling at my phone about. She did the right thing when she saw something awful. And she actually did something about it. And you killed her for it. Well, you had Cliff kill her. Same thing. Say bullshit if it isn't true. Look me in the eye and say it. There's only one reason she would have taken a picture of Kane's laptop. To turn him in. To show someone. Like the police. But she didn't show the police. Obviously. She tried to call me, but I missed it. She didn't tell her supervisor. So I figured, Sterling, I figured she came to you and Cliff that night. 
Did I figure right? You figured. You figured. Actually, you've brought back to mind, I mean, if you're saying that's a 21st century Columbo, when Gabriel Byrne did the Culture Club last year with us, he said Columbo is his favourite TV show. Clearly, oh. you have a love for that as well. Yeah, if, 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 if you love Columbo, you love this. Again, it's got the thing of Columbo where you know who did it. So you know who did it, and it's, it's, it's you're going to get him, you know, which is exactly what was always Columbo. You know who the killer is, and then you work backwards. And it's it's really is an absolute joy. I'm, 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 I love Columbo so much, uh, and, you know, this is this is right up there. Given that you're so busy writing, are you still devising new television shows? No, not really. I'm not even presenting really so much. I, I still do House of Games. That's, that's the one I still do, but I, I just don't have time because you know because the books just take me you know around the world now and I'm, I, I try and do one a year which is which is going at some and so yeah I've, I've sort of moved out of that world also that there's no that old industry of television formats has slightly disappeared over the last few years as, as, as the terrestrial tv industry has disappeared um so it's not the golden age of sort of 10 15 years ago of formats that would travel around the world um yeah it's 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 the the economics of that industry are not what what, not what they once were isn't it wonderful though the books endure and you're doing so well with that there's a final thing and i love your choice of buried treasure maybe it's because i'm from cork originally Uh, as is the the man who of course unfortunately has now passed who was behind micro disney how did you discover Micro Disney and why are you picking out Town to Town as your buried treasure? It's one of those songs that, uh, you know, was sort of, would we call it a minor hit at the time? Uh, and certainly was, you know, a song that I loved at the time and, and, and a song that culturally seemed to disappear in the UK at least. Uh, and I was reminded of it a few years ago. Uh, I just I think I overheard it somewhere and I thought, hold on, I absolutely love this song. And I had to be reminded of what it is. I was like, hold oh, on, what's this? And I absolutely, I got it. Okay, I thought, I know this song. Uh, and so, again, one of those songs you just think, how how is this not the most enormous hit? One of my favourite bands in the world is Prefab Sprouts. And I, th- I, I think they're wonderful. And this is this this has got that 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 same feeling to it you know beautiful melody great playing uh, and just one of those songs that anyone you ever play it to just goes where has this song been all my life let's hear a little bit the late Carl Collins singing at micro disney town to town it's Richard, listening to that, I can see why you must have loved it so much because it doesn't just have sort of like echoes of what would subsequently come in Britpop, but it has that sort of country twang thrown in as well. Yeah, I think I think so. In fact, I, I think I remembered where where I was reminded of. I was I, was, I think um, David O'Doherty had it on, on on his sort of intro tape, 
uh, and I was chatting to him afterwards. I was going, that's Town to Town by Micro Disney. No one knows that song. And so we had a long session talking about how, how, how much we loved it. But yeah, it's got that country thing. It's got the sort of rock thing. It's, 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 it's everything I love in a song. Richard Osmond there, remembering the late and much-missed Cahill Coughlin. Keith Barry joined us for a Culture Club interview in April and immediately set about trying to get hack my brain, as he put it. Before we find out whether he succeeded, here he is talking about his favourite movie, The Shawshank Redemption. I know it's one of those ones that's up there in people's favourites. Um, now, I'll say real quick, my other favourite is Sixth Sense. I don't know if that's as popular. You know, that's a, no, that hasn't been actually chosen. Well, hasn't it? But it's a hell of a good movie. Yeah, so Sixth Sense I love as well. You um, realise we are actually making the listeners guess now what your choice is because we haven't mentioned the name of it. Well, yeah, we, well, you, you, they can tweet you or send you information <laughs> on, on what you think it might be. But look, uh, it's the Shawshank Redemption and I just think it's it's an important movie. It's an amazing movie. Um and, you know, I was very fortunate, actually, that I met Morgan Freeman um, but five years ago, maybe six years ago. I was on the set of Now You See Me Too. And Woody Harrelson introduced me to Morgan Freeman and said, hey, Morgan, Keith Barry can hack your brain. And genuinely, Morgan Freeman challenged me in that moment. And that, I got really nervous because I know him from the days of the Shawshank Redemption and all of the movies he's done. Yeah. Since. And I don't get nervous easily. But when Morgan Freeman challenges you to get inside his head, that's a thing, right? So ultimately, anyway, I hacked into his brain. It took a while now. It took longer than normal. Uh, but I told him about a childhood friend of his called Boo Boo that he hadn't even thought about in 50 years and he completely freaked out. So that was uh, one of the more amazing moments in my career. You won't tell me how you managed that, will you? Definitely not. <laughs> okay, let's hear a little bit of Andy doing taxes for the guards at Shawshank State Prison. Making a few friends, are huh, Andy? I wouldn't say friends. I'm a convicted murderer who provides sound financial planning. It's a wonderful pet to have. The following April, Andy did tax returns for half the guards at Shawshank. Year after that, he did them all, including the wardens. Year after that, they rescheduled the start of the intramural season to coincide with tax season. The guards on the opposing teams all remembered to bring their W-2s. So Moresby Prison issued you your gun, but you actually had to pay for it. Damn right, the holster too. See, that's tax deductible. You can write that off. Yes, sir. And it was a regular cottage industry. In fact, it got so busy at tax time, he was allowed a staff. Hey, Rick, can you hand me a stack of 1040s? Got me out of the wood shop a month out of the year, and that was fine by me. Shawshank Redemption. Okay, what are you going to do? It, you asked me... It never gets old. No, no. It never gets old. Yeah. But, so, yes, uh, we're going to have a game of word disassociation. Right. So people out there might be familiar with word association, right? So, for example, uh, it's used in team building very often where somebody might say apple and the next person would say perhaps orange because it's related to apple mm. and then the next person might say uh, colour and then so on, so on. So that's word association, right? So you'd say a word that's relevant to the word. Yeah. We're going to play a game of word disassociation. Now, what I mean by that is, yeah, you've got a word in mind okay. that's, like, I don't know, your uh, producer is here, you don't know it either, do you? 
No. Um, and you've got a word in mind. You're going to tell me that word. You just won't know how you're telling me. Okay. So keep that word in mind. And now, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to give me three words that have nothing to do with your word whatsoever. So these are kind of three, think of them like three red herrings in your head. So that's why it's disassociation. So think of a word now that has literally nothing whatsoever to do with the word that you're thinking of, which we'll call it a target word. So the word you're thinking of is the target word. Now push that to the back of your head, forget about it for a moment, and give me a word that has nothing to do with Can I write it down so I remember it? Which? The, the, the disassociation word. Oh, no, no, you, no, no, you just keep it in your head. All right, okay. Okay, so you've got a word in mind, yes? I have, yes. Yeah. So forget that for a moment. Okay, now, put just, that away. I'll write down uh, the dissociated word. And right. all, everybody will remember it. It'll be easy to remember. So give me a word that has nothing to do with the target word. Fish. Fish. Okay, now, generally speaking, men would go for a word that's shorter than the word that you're thinking of in order to throw me off the, uh, the line. So I'm going to say that the word that you're thinking of is definitely longer than fish. But I noticed the way you're laughing. So now you've given that away. And what I mean by that is it's not even five or six letters. I'm going to go that it's much longer than fish. So try not to give me any physical clues with this next one, okay? So we've got fish. And now give me another word that has nothing to do with the target word and nothing to do with fish either. So just a completely random word. Go ahead. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. So, of course, you went the opposite way then. <laughs> you went the opposite way. But interestingly, when people go the opposite way, they almost go too far. So now I know for sure that this is actually a really long word that you're thinking of. So supercalif... I won't write it fully down, but supercal... Supercal... Ah, that actually gives me a clue. So fish mixed with supercal... I'm thinking you're giving me clues. It's like little breadcrumbs that you're giving me right now. I give me one more word that's nothing to do with fish, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, and nothing to do with your target words. So give me one final word, like a random word. Glasses. Glasses. So I want people out there, based on those three words that Matt has said to us, to have a guess. So everybody out there, have a guess. And feel free to uh, tweet me or tweet Matt and let us know your guesses. See, does anybody guess the actual word you're thinking of? Love your TV choice from your well, Hang on, no, no, I'm going to interrupt you now because you, you stopped me from trying to figure out what this word is. I know what he's trying to do. <laughs> so I'm going to go back to that word now. Okay, so we've got fish, supercalifragilistic, expialidocious, and glasses. Now, you would say that, no, that those three words would not tell me what your word is, correct? They wouldn't give me any clues. I wouldn't have thought so. Okay, good. So there's thousands of words in the English language, and I'm going to go for one now based okay. upon me reading your body language and this. Uh, just important for people listening. You didn't tell me what the word is. Absolutely, I okay. swear. Nobody Absolutely. knows what it is. Okay, Scouts go, on or all that. Okay, uh, I'm going to go for this. Uh, I'm going to show your producer just so you know that I can't change it. And yep. then I will flip okay. around to you. Okay, but just so you know that I'm fully committed. I've written it at the bottom there. Okay, you can see it there, yeah? Yeah. Okay, Matt, name out loud. What's your word? Maximalist. How did I do? Ah, Jesus. <laughs> Bang on. <laughs> Maximalist. You told me. You just don't know how you told me, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> okay Right I'm baffled by that Genuinely you got me there now <laughs> That's what I do Matt you, you do yeah And that's Keith Barry bringing to an end This special edition of The Last Word We're back again tomorrow from 6 o'clock For another look back on some of the best interviews Of 2023 Join us then